0: Well, as we turn uh, to the preaching of God's word, uh, as I we started last week a series on the Angel of the Lord, <clears throat> we um, established that the Angel of the Lord uh, is the second person of the Trinity, and we're going to be looking at over the next uh, few weeks at the various aspects of His work in both the Old and New Testament. And this week we're looking at the fact that the Angel of the Lord reveals. Uh, that was. Uh, one of his uh, functions, and one of his uh, works is that he reveals. And as we begin, <clears throat> I'm going to read from the Gospel of John. Gospel of John, chapter 1. <clears throat> and I'll read the first 18 verses. So here now, the living Word of God. This is the Gospel of John, chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him, but... As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh, and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him, and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. So in the reading of God's word, may he bless that reading to our hearts and also now the preaching of his word. So as John opens his gospel, he does so with a very particular purpose of connecting his gospel to the Old Testament. And he does this by the opening words, simple phrase in the beginning. It's not by accident that John uses those words. It is on purpose. And he's drawing our attention all the way back to creation. And that's where he begins. As the the first book of the Bible, Genesis, begins, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So John begins, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. <clears throat> See, John's original audience, they would have agreed with those statements. They would have understood what John was referring to. They would have understood that, God, that John was referring to God speaking into existence all that he made. But what really would have caused kind of the floor to fall away from their feet, to cause them, in a sense, to fall back In astonishment is his phrase in verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Then he makes this one of whom he is speaking all the more clear in 17. For the law was given through Moses But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. Now when we consider John making this connection, Jesus being the Word, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, that the world, the universe as we know it, everything, everything, that we see and that we don't see, was made through Jesus Christ as God the Son. And as Jesus Christ was sent and he came to reveal God to us, we see that this has been the work of the second person of the Trinity throughout the ages. He is the one who has come and revealed himself to humanity. He is the one who has come and proclaimed his truth. He is the one who has come and revealed who he is. Now, the application we'll be looking at as we consider this aspect of the angel of the Lord's work is that since God the Son reveals God to us, we are called to turn to Jesus to know him. Since God the Son reveals God to us. We are to turn to Jesus to know God. Now there's a whole list of ways that we could look at how the angel of the Lord reveals or how God the Son reveals himself to humanity. But we're going to be looking at four aspects and we'll take the last two together. Uh, The first is uh, turn to Jesus to know God's power. Secondly, turn to Jesus to know God's authority. And thirdly, turn to Jesus to know God's love and justice. As we consider, first of all, the call to turn to Jesus to know God's power. uh, First of all, I want to recall to mind a passage we looked at last week in the book of Judges. Judges chapter 2. Here we read, then the angel of the Lord came up from Yogal to Bacchum and said, I led you up from Egypt and brought you to the land which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Therefore, I also said, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be thorns in your side and their gods shall be a snare to you. So it was when the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the children of Israel that the people lifted up their voices and wept. <clears throat> now as the angel of the Lord begins speaking to the people of Israel, he says, as I, as I pointed out last week, I, I led you up from Egypt. And we see in Exodus 3 as Moses is tending the flock of his father-in-law, And he sees a bush that is burning, but yet not being consumed. He goes and he looks and we read that it was the angel of the Lord within that bush that spoke to Moses and sent him to Egypt and delivered his people through the hand of Moses. Now, as we consider the Exodus and the big picture of the Exodus and what it is pointing us to, of the great salvation that God would win through Jesus Christ. The angel of the Lord, the second person of the Trinity, was there in Exodus leading his people out, delivering his people by a mighty hand. And so too he comes then in in the incarnate word, in the flesh, in Jesus Christ, and shows us a greater salvation, not from some national enemy, but from our true and our real enemy, of our own sin and wickedness, the evil one and death itself. And one of the things that God was doing in his plagues that he sent to Egypt and his judgments against Egypt was that he was making a fool of the gods of Egypt. He was showing his power and his authority over those gods. That he was not a god to be trifled with and not a god to be messed with. I've said this to my family before as we went through this text in family worship. But really, the marvelous thing about the Exodus passages and the Exodus account and the history that we have in Exodus is that never before has a God gone into another nation's land and completely humiliated their own gods and forcefully removed his people from their hands. It was a clear display of who is powerful and who is sovereign over all the earth. And we do need to remember that the false gods were worshipped for a reason. Even scripture points out that we are no longer to sacrifice to goat demons. There were demonic forces behind the gods of old. And as the Egyptian magicians were able to mimic and imitate The first few plagues that God had sent and the powerful displays that God sent Moses and did through Moses, we see that there were powerful forces behind those false gods. But our God is greater, our God is more powerful. And that is one of the things that the Exodus account shows us, and that the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, was performing as he was delivering his people from the hands of Egypt. But we see that not only national powers, or the gods obey, or, uh, or, God, or the God the Son has power over these things, or God has power over these things, but we also see in uh, Matthew chapter 8, turning now to the New Testament, <clears throat> as we see in uh, Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 and following, We read these words. Now when he got into a boat his disciples followed him and suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea so that the boat was suddenly uh, or that the boat was covered with the waves but he Jesus was asleep then his disciples came to him and awoke him saying lord save us we are perishing but he said to them why are you fearful o you of little faith Then he arose and rebuked the winds in the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be? And even the winds in the sea obey him. We have here Jesus displaying the power of God over the winds of the sea. So marvelous, his disciples were more afraid of the miracle that they had just witnessed and the power that they had seen displayed in their teacher than they were of the storm that he had just calmed. Jesus displays the power of God in the things and the works that he has done in both the Old Testament and the New. One of the ways that we can make this connection between what Jesus has done and the angel of the Lord is by looking at the book of Jude. In the book of Jude, you know, Jude is the earthly half-brother of our Lord, who is the son of Joseph and Mary. So we can see here as we read, you can imagine Jude has a particular history uh, as he writes about the Lord Jesus Christ. We read, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. To those who were called, sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turned to the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Now, as I stop here, that verse 5, <clears throat> there's an interesting alternate way we could translate this verse. A good possible translation is, and that if you have an English Standard Version, you would see this in your Bibles. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that Jesus, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. <clears throat> We have credible testimony that in the mind of Jude as he wrote this letter was that Jesus was the one who saved his people out of the land of Egypt. Jesus as the second person of the Trinity. We can rightly say that. Uh, This is also, uh, if we consider uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Uh, verse 9. We read, beginning in verse 8, Nor let us uh, commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 20,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. So there, Paul is also making that connection. I mean, what situation is he talking about there? He's talking about a situation where the people of God grumbled against the Lord, against Moses, and the Lord, as punishment, sent serpents to go and to bite the people. And people would die from these serpent bites. And God instructed Moses to make a bronze serpent and to put it on a pole and hold it up. And when people would look to that bronze serpent, they would be healed of the venom From the serpent bites. Now Jesus also made the connection that as the serpent was raised in the wilderness. So the son of man would be raised. Moses in making that bronze serpent. God instructed him to do that as a picture of how he himself would be raised up on a cross. So that as people looked to him for salvation. They would be saved. But Paul, in that testimony, in that account, as he's uh, declaring here in 1 Corinthians, as he's remembering that situation, he says specifically, Nor let us tempt Christ. God the Son, the angel of the Lord is our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Now, through the power that the angel of the Lord has revealed in his power over earthly gods and his power over creation and his power over our salvation, he has revealed this to us. It is his ministry that has revealed clearly the great power of our God to ultimately deliver his people and to keep his people. This is why he alone is the one we are to turn to, to trust. To trust and to look to for our salvation because Jesus alone is the one who has power to save. And we also turn to Jesus to know God's authority. You know, as we consider Matthew chapter 7. In Matthew chapter 7, this is the close of what's called Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He begins in chapter 5, goes through chapter 6, then he concludes at the end of chapter 7. And after he teaches the people, we read in chapter 7, verse 28... And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching. And then in 29 we read why they were astonished. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now, why did people marvel at Jesus' teaching as he goes through? And in that Sermon on the Mount, Jesus contradicts some of the teaching of the day. But in contradicting it, what he's doing is he takes what he wrote through the Holy Spirit, through the men of old, and he corrects the understanding. And he gives the full picture of it. He says to us, you know, in one sense, you know, if you've... that not to kill someone, but if you 've hated someone in your heart, you have already murdered them you know and same with the other sins that we might be look at uh, on the outside and think well i haven 't stolen anything i haven 't killed anybody i haven 't done this or that, so i 'm good, but Jesus makes it even harder and more difficult because he strips away the outward veneer and he gets to the and the heart of the issue that God is desiring, of changed heart. And we commit these sins and we break God's commands not necessarily through these outward displays, but we do in our own thinking, in our own desires, in our own hearts. That's where the actions come from. And so Jesus is doing this. He's taking all that they've been taught these people throughout their lives as they've gone the synagogues week by week, as they've gone to make their sacrifices at the temple, as they have gone through what they should have gone through and what their teachers had taught them and Jesus is making it all the more uh, difficult and he's doing it in a way that shows that he has the authority to do these things and that people see that. But we also see Jesus' authority um, after the verses about the wind obeying and the waves obeying his voice. We see his authority displayed in the verses immediately after that in Matthew chapter 8 verses 28 and following. So after he has calmed the storm and they've come to the other side, he says, or we read, uh, when he had come to the other side to the country of the uh, Gergesenes, there met him two demon possessed men coming out of the tombs exceedingly fierce. So that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cried out saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a good way off from them was a herd of many swine feeding. So the demons begged him saying, If you cast us out, permit us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said to them, Go. So when they had come out, they went into the herd of swine, and suddenly the whole herd of swine ran violently down the steep place into the sea and perished in the water. Then those who kept them fled, and they went away into the city and told everything, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to depart their region." So he got into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own city. Then behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you. And at once some of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemes. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say arise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. And when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God who had given such power to men. Now, as we consider these verses uh, first of all, the two demon-possessed men. You know, we have in uh, the other Gospels the account of uh, the Jesus having more of an interaction, more of a conversation with the demon-possessed uh, men. And they were possessed by upwards of a thousand demons. The scriptures tell us that they were often bound, but they would break their chains. They were powerful And the people feared them, and nobody would go out to them. So what do we see here? But these demon-possessed men cower in fear before the Lord Jesus Christ. They cower in fear before him, and they cry out to him, Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now there is an understanding in the demons within the men of who Jesus actually is. He is God the Son. He is the second person of the Trinity. And he is the one who will judge all the earth. Because they say here, have you come to torment us before the proper time? They have some understanding that now is not supposed to be the time that they are to be judged. Now they don't know when that exact time is as we do not know when that time is. But yet they have this understanding that this Jesus standing before them is the one who has not only the power but the authority to judge them. And to cast them into torment. And We also see that they understand his authority, and that they can't just leave these men and go out into the pigs. They see the pigs there, but in the presence of Jesus, they have no ability of their own to go and to in, in, uh, indwell those pigs. They have to ask permission from Jesus, and they beg him. And as we read in the other gospel account of this situation, Jesus gives them permission. And then as the story unfolds and we see the demon-possessed man in, in his right mind and the people being afraid of what Jesus has done, as Jesus gets in the boat, he who is demon-possessed is begging Jesus and pleading with him that he be allowed to go with Jesus. But Jesus doesn't give him permission. It's the same permission that the demons had asked. Instead, Jesus tells that man to go home and to present himself as clean and cleared of these demons. We see displayed the authority that Jesus possessed and that he still possesses. He also said in his earthly ministry that absolutely nobody was going to take his life from him. He was going to lay it down willingly. He had authority to lay down his life and he had authority to take it up again. Jesus is the author and giver of life. Now as we see the authority of God revealed to us through the angel of the Lord and his interactions not only through the pages of the Old Testament with humanity, but through the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ, this authority as well. We are called to turn to Him, for He is the only one who has the authority to save us. Now, in the passage as I continue to read in chapter 9, people marveled and charged Him with blasphemy for forgiving a man's sins. And as they said, only God has the ability or the power or the authority to forgive people's sins. And the people marvel that Jesus did this. That Jesus could do this because he is God. And Jesus has the authority to save. See, some people may be possessed with great power and great ability, but not actually have the authority to do something. Jesus shows us and reveals to us that God not only has the power to save, but the authority to save. And this is why we are called to turn to him. Now thirdly, Jesus, we're to turn to him to know God's love and justice. Uh, Turn with me, you're turning with me or following along in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. In Romans chapter 5 verses 8 to 9. We read these words and I'll actually begin in verse 6. For when we were still without strength, In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Now as we consider the love of God displayed through the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The cross of our Lord as evil the crucifixion was committed or performed by the hands of wicked and vile men. As our sins were The reason behind him having to lay down his life and his taking our wrath for us. What scripture tells us and what God tells us is that the cross, as horrific and ugly as it is. That it is the clearest demonstration of God's love for you and me. That we have been given. How much does God love His people? God loves His people to the point of sending His only begotten Son to die on the cross and to take the full weight and brunt of His wrath. Paul points it out, maybe for a good man we would lay down our lives, but for those who are rebellious, those who are sinful, those who do nothing but Disobey and rebel at every turn in their life who are faithless who grumble and complain continually would anyone actually lay down their lives willingly for such a person let alone billions of such people but God did and it's not because we were good and wonderful it's because he loves us He loves us. This is why he did it. But we see not only God's love clearly displayed in the cross, but we also see his justice. In our world, the reason why I put these two together is that our society and our world like to put these at odds together. They like to say, well, God is a God of love. Don't judge me. Don't contend me for my actions. God loves all people. And they set a mark and a distinction between God and his justice and God and his love. But scripture does not put such a dividing line between the two. And we see in the cross of Jesus Christ not only the clear display of his love, but also the clear display of God's justice. He cannot allow our sin to go unpunished. He cannot allow our sin to go undealt with. He has to deal with it. And so that is what we have in the cross of Jesus Christ. He took our place. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. That great transaction that God did upon the cross of Christ of placing our sin and our wickedness, our unrighteousness upon our Lord and Savior who is innocent and righteous and taking His righteousness and placing upon His people This is all his grace and his love for us, his people. You can imagine, you know, let's just think hypothetically for a moment. You know, Satan isn't sovereign. I mean, we read today in the New Testament passage of how Satan offered the kingdoms of the earth to Jesus in his temptation. And Satan could do that because God had given those nations to him. But Satan himself is not in sovereign control. He doesn't get to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. He is controlled. Like the demons had to beg permission from Jesus to leave the men and to go into a herd of swine... So Satan has to beg permission from God to do what he wants to do. But having considered that, let's just imagine for a moment that Satan is as the world falsely imagines him. That he's somehow God's equal and God's enemy. We can imagine the frustration that such an enemy would have and thinking he was victorious in killing Jesus on the cross. But the fact is, Jesus on the cross, through his life, his death, his resurrection, crushed the head of the serpent. He brought his plans to nothing, he completely overpowered him, showed his far greater authority over him. And at the same time, it displayed clearly for all of us to see his love and justice. And we see that that is from the beginning. As we saw in Genesis chapter 16, the love of God in going to Hagar as she fled Sarai and Abram. The grace that he extended to her in calling her to repentance the justice we see in him in not allowing her to continue in her sin but to go back and to repent we are called brothers and sisters to turn to our lord jesus because our lord jesus is the second person of the trinity through whom all the world was made He is the one who has power over all areas of our life, all the gods of our life. He is the one who has authority to save us and to deliver us. And more importantly, he displays clearly the love and justice of our God in his sacrifice of himself. So since God the Son reveals God to us, brothers and sisters, turn to him to know our God. Amen. Our gracious Lord, we thank you for giving yourself for us. And that while we were yet sinners, you laid down your life for us. May we, Lord, turn to you as you are the only one who has the power and the authority to save. You are the one who has shown us such love and justice. And we pray, Lord, that we would in all things turn to you. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.